1: Hello and welcome back to New Books in Latino Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I am David James Gonzalez, the producer and host of today's podcast, and I'm pleased to have Ronald Reyer with me to discuss his book, Border Wall as Architecture, a manifesto for the us mexico Boundary, published by the University of California Press in 2017. Uh, Professor Rayel holds the Eva Lai Memorial Chair in Architecture and a joint appointment in the Department of Architecture in the College of Environmental Design and the Department of Art Practice at the University of California, Berkeley. He is both a Bakar and Hellman Fellow, Director of the Master's Architecture of Architecture Program, and founded the Print Farm Laboratory. He is an applied architectural researcher, design activist, author, and thought leader in the fields of additive manufacturing and earthen architecture. Hello, Ronald, and uh, welcome to New Books in Latino Studies. Thank you for having me, David. Great. Well, I'm excited about our conversation today and was uh, hoping you could just begin by taking a few minutes to tell us a little bit about your personal and professional background.
2: Sure. As you mentioned, I'm a professor At UC Berkeley in the Department of Architecture and Art Practice, but I'm also a trained architect and designer, and so I have a practice outside of that that looks at speculative ways of thinking about the world through the lens of of architecture and design and, and art. And my own personal background is I grew up in southern Colorado in what was the borderlands of the U.S. and Mexico prior to 1848, and my family would have been on the Mexican side of that border in the northernmost frontier. So this was called the San Luis Valley, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and it was right uh, below the Arkansas River at the northernmost stretch of that pass, on which the other side, of course, was the United States. So I feel in many ways my interest in the borderlands and the topic of the border wall today comes from the fact that I lived and grew up and my family uh lived and grew up in a landscape that was very much affected by being part of a borderlands experience at one point in history and i think those that that borderlands uh phenomena still remains even to this date in that in that region
1: Mm -hmm. definitely thanks for that uh and what I'd like you to do next, if you would, is tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how this project came together.
2: Sure. Well, the Book of Border Walls Architecture came together, um, I, you know, I, I couldn't say that it started back in 1999 when I was looking at architecture made out of earth. Uh, traditional earth and architecture, Adobe is what we might know most in the Southwest. But I would take students on journeys through the southwest to look at the traditional architecture, and we'd even cross over into Mexico and extend that journey into that landscape, recognizing that that was really, you know, it's a very artificial boundary. It's just a continuity of of migration and settlement patterns that have existed in this landscape for thousands of years. It was around 2004 when I began working on some art projects, one which is well known called Pradamarfa, uh which I worked on with two artists from Berlin. And that project, which was only, it's, it's about 30 miles from the U.S.-Mexico border in, on a desolate road in, in the middle of the Chihuahuan Desert in West Texas. This project, Prada Marfa, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a it's a building that looks like a Prada store it has the 2004 line of shoes and purses in it it's not accessible it's not a store but it's it's a it's a bit of a thought piece about the politics and relationships between United States and Mexico between wealth and poverty between high fashion and art and local vernaculars and so it's it's a structure it's a building that talks about that and I think at that point in 2004 it's at that point when The United States government is beginning to heighten their security measures on the southern border as a reaction to 9-11. Two years after this project is the passing of the Secure Fence Act of 2006 that mandated 800 miles of wall to be constructed on the southern border. Mm -hmm. And I became very interested in, because I was working there at the time, I continued to have projects there in the region, to see... The importation of enormous amounts of steel, like you might see in a urban construction site for a skyscraper moving into that landscape, seeing the walls constructed, and recognizing the consequences of that wall on the ecology, the humanitarian consequences, and especially the the phenomenons that begin to occur. That were not really thought through not only in terms of how it performed but how nature and people would respond to the wall on a in a very physical and tactile way and so i became i became interested in recording these stories remembering these stories and and writing them down but also as a designer began to think about how does an architect participate in this conversation particularly an architect who's not in support of that kind of construction along the southern border, uh, so this is how that this is how that project was born. It was born uh, twelve years ago and more by just being there at a very particular period of time when this happened. And so, what's always been fascinating to me about the current rhetoric is that you know when trump began campaigning a couple of years ago for president so i'm going to build a wall and audiences would say yeah finally someone's come along to build a wall right but yet the, there's nearly 700 miles of wall constructed and it continues to be constructed through several administrations and and not too many people raise an eyebrow and that's also something that i found strange and 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 interesting like mean, why so the reaction now is maybe fueled by the, the visibility of, of the pro- of a project that has not yet happened, which is Trump's version of the border wall. And maybe the invisibility of a project that has been ongoing for many years now, since he, almost ten well, ten years, twelve uh twelve years. And and what what that means, you know, to think about the meaning of this of this wall, a proposed wall, a wall in existence, and also the history of that fluctuating border between the United States and and Mexico, and the migration of animals and people and weather and everything that's kind of crossed that landscape over time. And so, you know, it's it's just uh, such a fascinating and never-ending body of knowledge to be drawn from that landscape.
1: Yes, you know and it, it is you know such a paradox uh I think of you know recent um and I'm going to say recent I mean, I'm a historian, right, so I'm really thinking like maybe the last half century or so of American politics, just how much of an issue uh you know immigration has been uh you know the security of the border and it's you know it's it's built it's ebbed, it's flowed it's changed uh but for for me that it strikes me is you know if you grow if you grew up in the southwest as as you've mentioned and uh much of my childhood was in san diego very close i grew up in the suburb uh, called chula vista so very close to the border Mm -hmm. and um You know, that it just seems like for so long, immigration has been an issue, even in recent history, 20 or 30 years, and that there has been, right, increasing efforts to militarize the border, right, to establish fencing barriers, etc. And yet there's this similar, you know, kind of like myopia, that you know continuously like intersects with American politics where immigration politics itself is the constant and concerns you know xenophobia nativism etc are kind of this you know constant theme in American politics but yet this kind of rediscovery by other you know parts of the American public that you know oh my gosh immigration is an issue and yes we need to secure the border or we need we need to build a wall and it just seems like uh, to me you know there's i don't know what the exact role, exact po- process is of how many years this recurs when it seems like there's this reawakening uh, and somehow some different region in the you know the united states becomes aware you know that um, they're or or alarmed over immigration and that there should be a wall but you know it just seems like there's there's, there's this you know, kind of constant paradoxical relationship between those two things immigration being the constant concern right of american politics one of the primary ones right um, Certainly throughout the latter half of the 20th century, no doubt, but then also kind of this rediscovery of it as, you know, an issue, a space of concern, you know, the border as a space of danger, et cetera. Right,
2: right. I mean, in many ways, the wall is a product of an evolving set of concerns or fears, right? Today, the rhetoric is, is focused around the topic of immigration. Uh, right? There's, there's the caravan coming, more reason to build the wall, the migration, mm-hmm. immigration is a problem, more reason to build a wall. But if if you go back just a few years, it's drugs or it is terrorism or, right. you know, there, there's, there's this evolving set of political concerns that is a response to, uh, well, I, I think it's in, in a way it's highly politicized, right? It, mm-hmm. And it, it's a physical manifestation of evidence that, the Government is doing something, so mm-hmm. there you know it, it, near san diego there are the there are the prototypes that were, were constructed by the Trump administration these enormous thirty foot tall uh, prototypes of future border walls uh, that are put in place, and those have tremendous amount of power to uh, excite the those those who are afraid or those mm-hmm. who are concerned uh that something is coming from the other side and this this is the solution right um, and so you know to to me i i completely understand the 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 need for security i think everyone does mm-hmm. but i think it's the politicization and the hyper hyperbolization of this situation that both uh, creates this, this almost hysteria, but creates a body of architecture, uh, I call them architecture, that is equally as hyperbolic and hysterical. Right. And I mean that in every sense, every definition of the word. Right. They're, they're funny, right? They're, they're mm-hmm. ridiculous to a certain extent.
1: Definitely, definitely. And uh, I think that's what it, one of the things that really fascinated me about your work is, you know, uh, it's one of the first that I've read, uh, you know, like many academics, I'm kind of, you know, really narrow into my, my discipline and whatnot, but I do try to read broadly outside of it. But uh, to see an architect and a designer in particularly, right, someone that's, that's you know, trained and, and spends a lot of time Thinking of infrastructure and thinking of buildings, right? Thinking of how and why something is built. What's its practical or pragmatic purpose, etc. Right? Can you talk a bit more about how your background, your training, both you know uh, in academia and and uh, you know as a professional, right, brings this view uh, that you take to the border, to where you know you are, you 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 create this manifesto that is a that is a, a thought piece that is a protest against the wall, but at the same time that is not just right, um, you know, kind of lashing arguments against it, but actually um, promoting ideas, some, you know, serious, some very satirical, as you as you mentioned, and hyperbolic, but others that are, that could be, you know, promote much better use for the wall itself, accepting that we need security and that the wall itself is is something that is there in stages and, and probably, you know, don't really see, at least I don't, uh, the, the future of where there's not a wall, right? Right.
2: Well, it's it's been a it, it's been a challenge uh, and and a very difficult one for me to communicate through the skills that an architect has, which is making models and doing drawings, uh-huh. making visualizations of proposals that the proposals would not, in fact, be proposals for the construction of walls, but they would be visuals there would be they would be ideas that would communicate to the world the reasons we do not need a wall it's antithetical to what an architect does right uh-huh. uh and so it's i would say it's been difficult for me to think about how that's done because i didn't want to go out into the borderlands with a picket sign saying no more walls i completely respect everyone who's doing that uh But I wondered how you know I don't I don't have that luxury to do that. And I wondered how architecture could be a form of activism and how it would catalyze a conversation, how it would make people aware of what was happening, and that counter proposals, if if we might call them that, aren't propositions for walls, but they're they're prop they're provocations of thought. And so it's I, I wouldn't necessarily say that any of what I'm proposing is a good idea for a wall but what I want to, wanted to make clear is that there are issues that affect the spaces in and around the walls that we should consider and this this is what I think architect's skills really where where their skills really lie uh there was there's a, a famous quote uh it says architects do not Design walls, but the spaces between them. It's attributed to this Egyptian architect Hassan Fatih. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful quote to me, and it, it it again speaks to what architects, I believe, are good at. It's not the designing of the walls themselves, but recognizing that walls have consequences and shape spaces. Not only spaces that are dimensional, that are volumetric, but spaces where things happen that bring people together, that create scenarios and events, and when you place a wall in a in an in the world, that it begins to shape that space around it. There's a consequence to every wall you place in space. It's very different when you place it in, in a bath between a bathroom and a bedroom, but it's also very different when you place it between a river and a deer, uh, right? And so, uh-huh. what happens in these moments? What what are the what what begins to occur when you place a wall between a rain cloud, and a downhill slope of a hill. And these are the things that seem very small, but have enormous consequences. So when the wall was built, for example, one of the first rainstorms that occurred uh, just simply washed against the wall, the rain had nowhere to go, turned uh, parallel to the wall, and flooded a town. No one really thought about those dire consequences. People died in these floods, was a rainstorm as a consequence of the wall itself, of the construction of the wall, and not thinking about that rain had to move across the drainage, that there are watersheds, and so it's this became the challenge. The challenge, you know, wasn't for me to cre- think about ways to make better walls. Even though I think that's also a consequence, I would like to think that's a consequence of this: that if we do build walls, we should think very clearly about what the consequences are about the migrations of, of animals, about the life of humans. Uh, I, I think that's a part of the conversation. Uh, but I also think that we should think about what it means in the aftermath of a wall if we do decide that walls should come down. And I think we should think about what it means to construct a wall in the landscape before we construct that wall, which I don't think there was a lot of thought about that. It was a kind of a relentless scenario in an imagined tabula rasa where you know this is just an open context and we just have to put a wall Now recognizing that when a wall cuts through a riparian landscape or through a wildlife um, refuge or through private property of farms like what this all means and what the consequence so so this is the challenge for for me to not only be able to arrive at Models and drawings that that you know begin to catalyze this conversation, but also to be able to clearly communicate the intentions of the the images in the book when they when it comes from an architect. I think architects have a responsibility to producing things and seeing them built, and they do that through drawings. And I'm shucking that responsibility a little bit, and that's I think that's confusing uh, to some. Like, why would an architect make a drawing of something if he wasn't intending to build it? And that, I, I think that's, that's uh, in there lies maybe some kind of problem that needs to be grappled with. But it's not the real problem. The real problem is how do we address this thing that we've constructed along our southern border and the consequences of it?
1: Well, and what I found as I've you know as I've looked through the book uh, in itself and have read it and, and both taught it in a class um, and seen responses to it, what I've seen that the images really do provoke is is a you know a sense of imagination of, of really reconsidering right what is there. And what its purpose, and I think that's an incredibly powerful aspect, you know, of the book. I mean, some of the proposals uh, are, again, they they range from things that I think that actually could, you know, be implemented. And now, how politically feasible or not that is, you know, is a whole other question. But um, things that actually seem you know very well practical and pragmatic, and others that are again a bit more uh, protest and, and satirical but uh, you know the the approach uh, you know that design approach and using the images and the models you know I see is just you know a, incredibly powerful at promoting you know a, a rethinking a, a critical right rethinking of uh, the effects of having you know. The wall there, right? Uh, and and again, there's existing like what seven hundred something miles of wall, uh, or barriers, or barricades and you know, fencing of sorts, you know, along what is a almost two thousand mile uh, border, right? International right. boundary. Right. Um, great. Uh, you've you've started to to hint at this a bit, but I was wondering if you could maybe speak to it a bit more explicitly. And that is, what has been, or what role have architects, or did architects play, if any at all? In the existing, you know, those existing various types of fencing, barricades, and wall that 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 is there, uh, you know, as of today.
2: Yeah, really, none that I that I know of at at all. I mean, this has all been left in the hands of engineers, particularly the Army Corps of Engineers, and in some cases, uh, private industry uh, that also are comprised of engineers and and. Uh, security companies there have been academic institutions involved and and uh research institutions involved like fe- i mentioned fence lab in mm-hmm. the book uh but ar- architects uh, n- none that i know of there there was in around 2006 a call by the new york times which i mentioned in the book two very famous architects to ask them what they would do on the wall and the proposals uh, really are wide ranging in the categories. I talk not so kindly about one of them by the architect Anton Predock, who proposed that, oh, let's have Mexican laborers build it and it will have an enormous hot plate that would, you know, burn people in the hot sun. And this uh, Anton Predock actually wrote me later and he said, well, wow, I really apologize for that proposition, uh, you know, and, and I think... It was a very quick response, and some architects didn't offer proposals, and some offered proposals that were, um, you know, about about energy. Uh, but I, I think what was problematic about that call and about those proposals is that it happened very quickly. I don't think that it was deeply studied. And at the time, it was a very you – know, the, the world was a very different place at that time. Um, in terms of the, the, our evolving ethos. I mean, even, even for me, my own book, to me, exists at a different time in history. Mm-hmm. It exists prior to uh, Donald Trump being the president, which right. is a very different world in my mind. Right. And so I, I would have to admit that while in, in many cases I'm trying to highlight that something is ridiculous through, through humor and i don't know if i i myself don't know if it's satire irony or or poetry mm-hmm. but i i and I, you know i'll be honest that i i don't know yet these are just these are this is a thought process for me um but what i do recognize is that i might not think think certain things are so funny anymore right. i think there's a there's a seriousness to the world we live in now that it's hard for me to To grapple with some of that work, I've attempted to define it in different ways, um, looking back upon it and realizing, oh, there was work done before the wall was actually constructed. There was work that was in response to the fact that we have a wall. And there was work in that book that is actually provocations that are proposals of resistance. Mm -hmm. Um, And... More recently, I've been working on projects that actually go out back into the landscape and are realized and, and constructed. And this is this may be the next part of this work. Uh, how can we go back into that landscape and do something? And recently, this summer, in response to the child separation at the border, I took a sign that's that's very famous. It was. In Orange County, several years ago, it was put up by the uh, California Transportation Department as a highway sign to uh, warn drivers of people running across the road. And the people were uh, immigrants who were being dropped off often on the highway by coyotes, and they would run across the road. and And so the signs were put up as a as a caution so that people would keep an eye out for them. And this sign has a really interesting history in that the sign was designed by a Native American war veteran, graphic designer who worked for Caltrans and was really sensitive about the way he thought about the making of this sign so that it would call attention to people. Uh, he thought having a little girl with piggy tails right. would be extremely important in giving people the kind of empathy. Uh, for people crossing the border, and the profile of the of the father in that sign is the profile of Cesar Chavez. Mm. Uh, and what was interesting is that sign was perceived differently from the United States and Mexico. So from Mexico, the sign was sometimes a little bit offensive, but sometimes was confused as a place to cross, right. like a safe place to cross the highway. Right. And yeah. so signs facing south would say "Prohibido." Right. Prohibited the cross here, and, and signs facing north would say caution. Right, and so mm-hmm. it took on a very different message. And so what I did with that sign was I simply uh, reversed.
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: The, of the young girl mm-hmm. running back to her family with her arms outstretched, and it's been placed on a billboard uh, along a highway in I i ninety five now, and so hundreds of thousands of people have seen this billboard now for a different uh, political reason, and so. I'm hoping to work on more projects like this.
1: Yeah, you know, I appreciate you bringing up uh, that, that sign. It was, uh, you know, I grew up with that sign, you know, being yeah. just within 10 miles of the border. And every time my family would head down to Tijuana, um, I remember the first time I see it, guy, it was, it was just so shocking, you know, to me as, as a kid. I mean, I was like uh, 11, maybe 10 or 11 And I just, uh, I keep trying to think of, remember what I felt. And I think so much it was, was confusion. Um, But it also, there's also kind of like this instant implication of, I knew, uh, you know, kind of uh, almost instantly who it was referring to, even though I knew nothing. Like, you know, we'd moved down, my family moved down from Oxnard. And, uh, you know, again, another place with, with a a lot of, uh, you know, to, mexican american culture and mexican american history of of agriculture and etc but um you know i would not seen those signs before we moved down to to san diego Uh, but it was just strange as i think back now that i I almost instantly knew what kind of it was referring to and uh, you're right it's kind of these signs have been i don't know if any more exist along the freeway i've heard that and i read an article in the la times i think about a year or two ago that most of them have kind of been you know uh you know, taken or stolen as like uh you know, kind of ephemera of, um and right. there may only be one more that's still on the freeway uh,
2: um, yeah in in a way the the work in the book I made it to seem also as ephemera, mm-hmm. I and mean, that's why there's the form of snow globes and postcards and, ah. and there there are these souvenirs that mark this point that we have to remember and i I thought okay. There are these events happening that are really interesting, that are a product of this time that is not – okay, with the optimism of the book, may not last much longer, right? That's the optimism of the book. Right. So we need to remember this moment, that we did this, that this happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's the that's the reason for the objects and drawings in the book to be presented as they are.
1: Right. And you're so right, uh, you know, that the, the book really did, I mean, it, it, people may get confused with the 2017 publishing date, but if they're, you know, those that are familiar with how long it takes to produce an academic work, right, and as you've explained these things, you know, these ideas were forming and uh, this project was evolving, you know, m- much before the contemporary uh, moment where you're right, you know, post 2016, post November 2016, right? Uh, the the border has taken on a completely—not, I mean, not completely different—but you know, it's just another level, right? The stakes of, like you said, you know, discussing the border and, and in ways, even, um, you know, joking about it, almost kind of, right, um, seem like wow, that's—we are in a different context to where uh, things aren't so funny anymore you know, about okay. even discussing the wall, the wall itself. Um, but yet I, I get so much of the message and I think so much of it, it I can understand how it'd be received by by different people coming from different, well, geographic, right? And, you know, temporal context, like again, when the border itself, ha- when their awareness about it and immigration as an issue emerges, that that would just elicit so many different responses, uh, you know, to the book itself very much. It does ring true to me that this is this does seem like a, a of a timepiece um, before this kind of additional level of craziness um, that that we are currently in right and it, it would have just seems just so absurd right that um, it, you know I think that in in 2017, 2018, if one if I would have thought about this maybe five years or so ago that you know actually prototypes of as you 've mentioned thirty foot concrete barriers uh, were, were being built right along that wall right and and much that absurdity. Uh, to someone with you know an experience in the borderlands right is the fact of um, understanding right the ineffectiveness of the wall and just how much of a waste it's been uh, right and that uh, you know government agencies themselves, particularly the border patrol, as you write about right that they realize that the wall itself is is nothing but you know a a it buys them time right it's it 's to delay that process there isn't really uh any uh, you know, confidence in the fact that the wall is going to stop a flow right of people, or it's going to stop the migration but that it just buys the border patrol time right
2: Right. and if we think about the kind of evolving rhetorics uh, or politicization of, of the wall if, as, as a response to issues, if we think about drugs uh, cartel love the wall it's a way to organize their territories much more efficiently, mm-hmm. so does it help there? No uh immigration into the US is is not really a problem. We have a net zero immigration to this country and most of them do not come running across the the border. So is it helping there? No. Has have any terrorists ever been apprehended uh and have the wall been helpful in that from the southern border? No. Uh so then what does it do? Um and that's that's the question. I I think there are certainly understandable uh, questions about immigration and the separation between, like the, the distinctions between countries. Those are understandable. I think I don't think borders are unnecessary. I think it's necessary to define territory, and I think what's what architects do is define territory. They define spaces, but recognizing in the 21st century that there are many kinds of territories that overlap, right? If you, I was just in El Paso the other day and AT&T charged me uh, for using uh, Mexican cell phone service, even though I never went, to Mexico, right? There's a territory there that's invisible and undefined. So to simplify it to a line in the sand is just not uh, very sophisticated, right. I think. Yeah
1: yes you know and uh, as you you mentioned in the book that the, the existing 700 miles of uh, again fencing barricades and walls that that exist um uh and i think I've, i'm hoping i've i read this right that the government agencies have placed the construction and, and maintenance of you know the wall post uh, the secure fencing act right at something over 49 billion over 25 years right, right. um And so getting to some of the proposals in the book, uh, and again, understanding that is very much of a thought piece, but thinking of that figure, you know, virtually 50 billion over 25 years, um, what are some of the proposals and and things that, uh, you know, you allude to and point to in the book that you think uh, actually could or would like to see implemented?
2: Sure. Well, you know, the, the borderlands are some of the fastest growing regions in both countries, in the United States and Mexico. And they are landscapes in need of clean water. They are some of the most energy consuming landscapes in the country. And so as alternatives, I suggested things like infrastructure, wastewater treatment plans, for example, photovoltaic fund. These are things that other countries are doing that are are far ahead of us. And these are the landscapes in which they would be the most efficient and and useful Uh and so i think there's a set of infrastructure that could be put in place that would be not necessarily in response to a security issue but possibly i mean i mentioned in the book how these are often secure installations would these promote security in the borderlands possibly but i i also think that there's something about improving the landscapes in which one lives that makes those landscapes desirable for people to stay or, or invest in themselves and i mean when i go to tijuana today it's like, it's like one of my favorite cities and what's happening in that city is it's vibrant culturally there's an amazing music scene amazing food scene craft brews uh beer scene i mean it makes me want to live in tijuana because it's such an exciting city to be in and i i think that's because the, that city is investing in itself you know? mm-hmm. and and i there there's probably a larger historical connection to uh people coming to the United States and investing back in that country as as a as more a binational region right, right. there's this trans border culture that moves back and forth that makes that place very rich uh, uh culturally and intellectually and artistically and so I just think that if we take that fifty billion dollars and invest it in cultural uh Projects along the border. I, I don't know if I mentioned this in the book or not, but uh, think about there's something like 250 Seattle public libraries could be built across the border for that much. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, like what are the what are the most important cultural investment projects in the United States? Like the High Line, for example, you could build 500 miles of the High Line instead of 700 miles of border wall. Right. Um, like public parks, these kind of social infrastructures that we put in place. That would make these regions uh, m- more safe and more secure for the people living in them. That's that that's my version of of, of a beautiful future for the for the border, uh, rather than a wall that it certainly has its failures. That you know, every single day, people go out to the border with blow torches and attempt to cut it down. <laughs> and every single day, border patrol agents go out with welding equipment and patch it up. Right. Yeah. That seems like not not a smart kind of sustainable investment in security
1: in my mind so true so well well said, thank you for that. Um, well, I wanted to uh you know just shift as we get towards wrapping things up a bit i appreciate for, appreciate your time uh, and give you a chance to talk a bit more uh maybe about other things that you're currently working on you've alluded to that you've alluded to some projects stemming off from uh, this book, particularly during the, the current uh, political uh, climate, but uh, so. But what are some things that you're you're doing now after this book?
2: Well, on on this theme, I'm I'm, you know, I'm, I mentioned reunite to think about how architecture can be more present as a as a form of activism in the landscape, and the book really made me aware and actually become friends with many of the artists that I feature in the book, and so. I, I talk about the artist Ana Teresa Fernandez, for example, who went out uh, to playas de Tijuana and painted the wall sky blue mm-hmm. to an amazing effect that the wall kind of, it really disappears. It, it, she erases it. And that's the, the title of the piece, Borrando la Frontera. And how impactful these kinds of, of operations are in communicating ideas, but And they're realized right they don't exist on paper they don't exist on model in model form and so how can an architect participate in that and and so i'm i'm attempting to find ways to think about doing that and and much of what i've done has has existed in the art sphere so like the sign i've also produced a series of of pottery objects called bad hombres or (laughs) actually called bad hombres sorry (laughs) So when Trump said there there are bad hombres at the border, I said, "Oh, they're not bad ombres at the border; they're bad ombres and an <laughs> ombre is a gradient between dark and light. So I use <laughs> dark clay and light clay to make these these this pottery and Now we've taken this idea further, and we're working with uh the University of Texas El Paso and their ceramics department, and ourselves and their students and their professors have gone out to various sites on both sides of the border, Juarez and Tijuana, looking at the history of pottery production in that region, which has been ongoing for several thousand years, right. and we're producing a new set of objects made out of the local clays, earthenwares, that are bringing together these two landscapes, recognizing that it's one landscape, that there's traditions that are much longer. So working with, with people on the site, Last week we were out there on a mesa overlooking Juarez and we brought 3D printers out there and we printed, we 3D printed Adobe with the students from, from UTEP, students from uh, Texas Tech El Paso, uh, professors, ceramicists, architects came. Like it just became a place of conversation about ideas around thinking about how we might make a new world using traditional technologies, looking both forward and And into the past, and talking about traditions and innovations. Uh, and so this this kind of thing I'm working on now. I'm also working on looking at my border, my my borderlands in Colorado. And so I'm working with students from the University of Colorado Boulder and, and a professor there, uh, Richard Saxton and his art group m twelve. and we're we're working in my own home village, which my family has lived in for many generations in my great grandfather's adobe house and building art in the landscape and thinking about life in that particular valley in colorado as a present day borderlands that still has the scars and the legacies and the future and the promise of what a border region can be
1: wow sounds like inspiring work definitely um and thank you for sharing uh those projects uh, in particular I very much look forward to what uh you have what continues to come out of uh, you know your collaborations, and uh, very much thank you for uh, your time. I, I encourage our, our listeners to definitely uh, get a hold of your book, take a look at it. It's 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 a phenomenal piece. It's it's really I think beautifully uh, you know presented, uh, very high quality gloss pages, uh, you know images, uh, just the right amount uh, I think of you know text and images. Something that you can. You can both you know, go back to and reflect to over and over again. Um, and it can be used in a number of different uh, settings. As I've said, I've taught with it. I've uh, shared it. Uh, I was actually turned on to your book actually by my sister who actually lives in New Hampshire. And she she gave it to me as a Christmas present. I had no idea. Uh, like I said, I'm always paying attention to fields a little bit more closer to my own. Um, and so that's how I got it. And I just can't stop talking about it since I've gotten a hold of it. So thanks again uh, for your time and just, again, phenomenal work.
2: Well, thank you very much, David, and and I appreciate your support and, and thanks.